0: Yesterday was the Combine and you did a series of activities, right? You filled out a questionnaire that revealed to, to our team uh, what your strengths are, okay? And maybe maybe how you might fit in to the church and to the work of, of the church. And so we, the counselors met right here and we said all good things about you guys as we watched you do the activities and we saw people step up and lead. We saw people being very encouraging. Uh, it was pretty cool. It was actually really cool to talk about all, the, all of the things that we saw you guys doing. And um, so we took all that information. And then Kylie and I last night, we sat down. We looked through your questionnaires. We considered what, what roles, what draft profiles you were interested in. And then we compared that with what we saw. And then Kylie and I just assigned you to a role. And we assigned you to a church plant that will simulate at some point, probably not today, um, but okay. So you've kind of got your spiritual gift, your quasi spiritual gift, figured out, and then this process uh, that happens in church is is then you get sent out, right? You get to work, and then you figure out, you know, what what could I do, and then God puts you to work, okay? So we're going to look at what actually happens in Scripture, okay? Um, we're going to look at a key Bible passage, Acts 13, that shows us what it looks like to be placed on, let's say, a church planting team. Now, it may not look exactly like this every time. It may not be two people. It might be one guy who goes to Pakistan. It might be you get joined to a team later. It could look all different ways, but we're going to look at what the Bible says about being sent, um, uh, as a church planter or as a, as a missionary. So Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Let's go ahead and read that. We'll see. We'll get eyes on the text. And then I'm going to pray again, if that's all right. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Read with me here. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, And Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So let's pray. Father, I, um, we, we are thankful to be here. We're thankful to have Your Word. And we're thankful to have Your Word open together. God, I only want to hide behind Your Word this morning. I only want Your Word to go forth. I only want um, Your precepts and Your principles to be applied by Your Spirit. God, we want you to meet with us, to speak to us from your word, to lead us this morning, to grow us, to, to change us, to conform us, God, to correct us where maybe we're um, erring in our thinking or erring in our actions. God, we want you to just be our father this morning and, and we want to respond to you as your children and just say, we submit to you, we submit to your word. God, we submit to your spirit. And there's no other viable option for us. I mean, that's all we want to do. And so God, we just ask that you would help us um, to, to just have that receptive heart towards your word and, and give us grace, give us mercy to follow you. And we just ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verse one. We're going to pick out some phrases in each of these verses, these five verses, and we'll drill down, okay? So verse one, the the phrase we're going to look at is now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Okay, so they're at the home base. Antioch is the home base of the early church. It's like it's like um, where where things were really happening and going, and from there works were were started. And so Antioch is is the home base, and there's teachers, instructors, there's ministers, there's leadership in place. There's deacons, there's all of the leaders that you might see in your local church. They're in place here at Antioch. But the question that, that I found myself asking is, to what aim? And I sit in meetings with pastors and leaders fairly often. And we, there's like lunch meetings and there's um, evening meetings and there's morning meetings and there's all these meetings with all these leaders all the time. And every once in a while, I'm like, "Why? what are we doing? Like, why are we, what is all, what's the point of all this? You know, because it's easy to just zone out. Like, you're in a long meeting, and they're talking about something that has nothing to do with, like, youth ministry. So I'm just like, man, I just fell asleep with my eyes open, right? Okay, what's the point of leadership? What's the point of having pastors and elders? Why don't we just go at it and go do the work? Right? What's the point? Well, the Bible has a very clear purpose for leaders being put in place and for pastors and elders and leaders at your churches right now. God has a purpose for it. And you see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This is why you have Josh. This is why you have the counselors, the helpers, the adults in this room. This is why you have leadership. It says, and he gave some. God gave to some people. He gave them apostles. He gave to some people prophets and some evangelists and some, here it is, pastors and teachers. God gave us pastors and teachers. Okay, why? For the perfecting of the saints so that we would be perfected, that we would be matured, that we would grow up. Pastors are for us to grow up. Okay? Okay. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, leaders lead us through ministry and into ministry. And for the edifying of the body of Christ, leaders are to build you up. So here's what you should know. Here's what I should know. There's a structure in place that you can see in Hebrews 13:7 and Acts 20 verse 28. There's a structure that helps facilitate the work of ministry being performed in and through our lives, but biblical leadership is for the benefit of others. Okay? If you want to be a leader someday, or you see yourself as a leader, biblical leadership is for the benefit of others, not for one's own glory and ego. Leaders are to be a blessing in our lives. Leaders, they're called to serve you. So, if you're going to be a leader, that's a call to serve as much as it is a call to lead. So, leaders, can I tell you, you are called to be a blessing in the lives of these students, not just a ruler. Sure, you have authority. Yeah, okay. You can lead people to do things. Okay. Are you edifying the body? Are, are, you, are you doing the ministry yourself? Right? And so maybe for some of you, you're like, okay, this is for me right now. Maybe you're like, this might be for me in like a couple years. Okay, well get that down. Because you won't get to leadership unless you prove that, man, you just want to be, you just want to profit the body with all, like we saw yesterday. That's the attitude of a leader. Okay? So here's your key point number one. God gives us leaders to lead us and to help direct us using God's Word. Leaders are for us. So as you're getting that down, it makes me think, I I personally don't like to I don't like to, like, tell people what to do. I feel bad about it most of the time, like, naturally. Like, delegating is okay, but if I have to, like, like, they say this phrase, working yourself out of a job. They say that in ministry. You'll you'll hear that. You Work yourself out of a job. Well, I feel really bad about that. Like, I don't want to just give everything to Josh. I want to give everything to Josh because I want Josh to be leading this ministry. But I don't want to just give him everything and say, hey, good luck, man. Like, hey, you got this. All right, I'm going to go do whatever, right? But leaders are, if if leaders are for you, that means that if they do tell you to do something, it's for your good. Does that make sense? You can rest assured that the leaders in in this room, I know the people, the adults in this room, well enough to know that they're not going to tell you to do something unless they are 100% convinced it is for your benefit, more than it is for their benefit. You with me? Okay, verse 2. It says, As they ministered, these leaders, the church, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So the church and its leadership is serving. They're being sanctified. They're being set apart. And they're ministering. They're doing the work. The work of God is being done in and through the life of the church through these men. Okay, so there's fruit and there's maturity at this home church. And it's all done in the midst of trials and tribulations that you can see throughout the book of Acts. You can see just a chapter, a chapter prior. Uh, they're, called, they're called Christians first at Antioch. And that's like a, a derogatory term. They're being persecuted. There's a, there was a, a person on social media that was like threatening to come protest Mission Focus this year. Now they have to be really determined to come out and, he, and, and into this weather and protest. But there's people in your churches, whether you're Midtown or not, that they want to they want to afflict and to to distract the work that's happening here. Right? That's how real church should kind of look. Right? Because there is. There is an objective and there is an enemy. And the enemy is working against the objective of the Lord. You with me? So they're fruitful in Antioch amidst the persecution. But in the midst of this service and, and suffering, God calls for these men. Saul and Barnabas, or Paul and Barnabas. He calls for these men who were being used by God in Antioch. And he calls for them to be sent. And so we see this type of thing happening more and more here at Midtown. So there's some like light affliction. But then you see men, James Fife, Mark Schaefer, Dan Renault, Mike Renault, Andrew Ong. You see these men who are being called out of the ministry they're in, the fruitfulness that they're in, out to be sent to something different. You see what's happening in Acts chapter 13 happening in your church right now. That's pretty cool. Okay. But we also see God taking out teams to go with them. So it's not just these men all by themselves. It's these men with, with, with other people who are sent out with them, right? So not all of you are going to be pastors. That's excellent. That would be very dysfunctional if you were, right? Maybe some of you will be. I don't know. I'm never going to pressure any one of you to be a pastor. That's the Lord's business with you. But I will, I will, I will call you and and ask you to consider, you know, what is your role? Because you could be sent too. What's your part? So, this happens. You would be called out, or like in our game, you were called out in our simulation. you, You just were, you were sent to these places. I have them designated already. You're on a team. You already have a role. Like, you got work to do. Okay, but in real life. It would happen in the midst of, you're in this fruitful life of ministry and persecution. And then God would say, okay, go. But I want to I wanna drill down a little bit deeper on this um, and look at another example of the Lord sending people in the Bible. Um, you see this in Him delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. And this is just something I was reading as I was doing my daily uh, devotion. And then I, this caught my eye, and so I... I went here and studied it out. In Exodus chapter 14, check this out. Just check out how how specific and how incredible God's Word is. Okay? Check out how cool God's Word is. He, he had me reading in Exodus at the same time Acts chapter 13, and he he paints a picture for us. and It's pretty neat. Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. We're going to read it, and you're going to think, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see anything in that. It says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Piharoth. I practiced that, and that's not what it sounded like when I practiced it. Between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal, Zephon, before it you shall camp by the sea. Do you see the similarity to what we're talking about in that? Me neither, not yet. Okay. The Bible is a picture book, and you need to know that. You need to know that the Bible is a picture book, which means it has pictures in it that you can learn about God through, but you can also then, you can take the pictures in the Bible and, and make it very easy to share with somebody else what, who God is. Right? You can take the pictures and say, hey, here, look at this picture. See who God is from what He wrote and how He pictured it, how He laid it all out for us. So, p- Paharoth. Paha ahharath it means place where sedge grows makes sense now doesn't it no <laughs> right okay well what is sedge so this place that he says they should go before it means it means a place where sedge grows well so, so then you got to figure out okay what's sedge so you dig a little deeper sedge is like a uh, Grass. It's wet ground grass growing, it grows in cold or temperate places. So it's grass that can grow in cold places. Okay? Well, how else does God uh, describe this? This this shows us, it shows us Paharoth is a place that is fruitful even in a cold field. Okay? The Israelites were called to go to encamp in this fruitful or life-filled place. There's grass there, so it's life-filled. Even when it's cold, it was actually it was difficult because it was cold, and they're actually being pursued by the Egyptians. Okay? You know the story. Israel was delivered out of Egypt. Well, did Pharaoh just say, hey, yeah, go ahead, see you guys, enjoy your life, love you, you, know, you have my blessing, bye. Is that what he did? Do you know the story? You should know the story. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And the Egyptians, they needed the Israelites because they were their slaves. And so when Moses is called up by the Lord uh, to deliver them out of Egypt, Moses goes with Aaron and he meets with the Pharaoh and he's like, hey... God's saying, let his people go. So we need to go. We need to go worship God. We need to be out from under this bondage. And Pharaoh time and time again is like, no, I'm keeping you. You can't just go do whatever God wants you to. Okay, so finally, after a series of crazy, wondrous things, the Israelites, they're they're given permission to go. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh's like, wait, no, let's go kill them. And so then the Pharaoh comes after the Egyptians are pursuing the nation of Israel as they're being delivered out of the country. And this is where God says, hey, I know you're on the run, so go to this place where it's cold and wet. But there's grass, there's fruit, there's life there. Okay? Let's look at how else he describes it. He says it's between migdol and the sea. Now, migdol means tower. Okay? So they're in a cold place that there's still fruit, there's still life. It's a hard place, but there's still life. But But it's between... Migdal, which is a fortified city of Egypt, it's Egypt being a picture of the world. It's cold. It's in the world. It's by the world. Do you know that that Egypt is a picture of the world in your Bible? Hey, wake up. Stay with me. I know it's New Year's. I know. I know. But God might have something for you. Okay? You don't want to miss that. Don't miss that. Do you know that the world... Only wants to make you feel safe and apathetic. It's a fortified city. They just want you to feel comfortable and at ease, apathetic. Don't really worry about anything. Don't have a burden for like the loss or anything. Just like you, you just you do your thing. Or a fortified city. You could look at it the other way. Or the world is always just trying to, to trap you. It's always trying to keep you enslaved. It's always trying to keep you tied down and addicted to something. Alright? Be addicted to the the latest fad. Be addicted to whatever it is. It wants to keep you chained down so that you can't be liberated to go do whatever God might have you to do. Is this making sense? Okay, it continues. It's over against Baal Zephon. Okay, what does that mean? That means... Lord of the North. Ooh. Everybody say, ooh. Okay, that's actually a demon god in Egypt. So that is kind of, uh, right? Creepy. So they're, they're in a cold place where there's life. They're next to the world, and then, there's, and then there's the devil. Oh, man. And you know that the devil is on the prowl to destroy any ministry and momentum that we might have. Verse Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Sure, he might be looking to devour your life. Yeah, okay. You know what he really is after? He's after that spiritual life that might be coming in you or out through you. That's what he's looking to devour. So we see ourselves, we see the church in Antioch, Ourselves as well. But we see the church in Antioch, similar to the nation of Israel, as they're about to be, about to be fully delivered out of Egypt. And they're set aside just about, just before Moses is going to split the Red Sea. Just before something amazing is going to happen. They're in a cold, worldly, devil-infested, devil-worshipping place. And there's still life there. So they're primed, they're prepped for God to do something mighty for them. So similarly, the work is being done in Antioch and Acts chapter 13. And this is happening naturally in the midst of trials and tribulations, in the midst of sacrifice and hardship. And God interjects in the midst of this work and calls Paul and Barnabas to be sent. So here's the key point. This is what I'm getting at. Healthy reproduction always happens in the midst of life, and ministry, and sacrifice. Church planting doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not something we all muster up. We have a conference and we say, we're going we're gonna to plant these churches now. That's not how it works. So if you want to be a church planter, if you want to be like, sent from God to a place, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like you getting your hands dirty here right now. that makes sense and it's gonna be hard but it's gonna be fruitful and then God's gonna see oh this person's fruitful microno is fruitful oh he's got to go oh Adam and Heidi fruitful Tuh. they gotta go I got work for them to do okay. Verse 3. Let's keep moving. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So they're sent away from the home base. God says, I want those ones. They're in the midst of trials, they're in the midst of of working hard. I want them. Time for them to go. So then the church is like, Okay, Lord, yep, we see it. And they send them away, and they're gone. You know who's not here tonight? Or this morning? You know who's not here? Adam and Heidi. Ah, that stinks. They weren't here last year either. You know why? Because they were prepping to go. And then they went. And now they're not here. And that's sad. Because I like them. <laughs> and they mean something to us, right? Right? You know who's not here? Tobiah. Isabel. Dude. Those people are sweet. God said, perfect. They got to go. Whew. That's hardcore, man. I want to be hardcore like Tobiah. I don't know about you. I want to. Let me tell you this. They get sent away. These solemn Barnabas. They get sent away from the home base where the work is getting done. There's momentum in ministry. There's friends and family. There's familiarity. Right? And all of a sudden, all that's gone. Adam, Adam and I, um, we don't talk as often as we probably should just because I'm not a good friend to him. But the last time we talked... Uh, we talked through just how life was going. Man, how, is, how are things in Boston? He's been there for a few months now. Um, there's fruit in Boston. I know that. And so we're just catching up, just seeing how life is going. And he was explaining to me how hard it is. It's just really hard to serve, to minister, to work a full-time job, to bond with the team that he'd never, he had never really ministered with. Like if you're in this group, and then you get sent, things are totally different. Like if you're in a ministry, maybe Brandon is your pastor, and then you go to do another ministry. You're sent to go be part of another ministry. Maybe you're sent to be in youth ministry. It's totally different. And it takes a lot of adjusting, because you're out of familiarity. Adam is in Boston, and he and I were super tight. I mean, we met often. We shared the exact same heart for, for the ministry. And then all of a sudden, boom. He's got to restart that bonding process with Mike. Does this make sense? But here's what makes all the difference. It's, it's, it's harder work than he even anticipated. He said, this is, I was not, this, this is like totally different. I was expecting to work hard. But there's things that I just was not anticipating. But here's what makes it worth it. He knows for a fact, and so do I, that God sent him. That God did it. That he didn't do it. That I didn't do it. That God did it. It was very abundantly clear. Like I could tell you, conversations we had that were only, like they were divinely appointed by God. Like the first time when, when we, when he told me he was thinking about, praying about going to Boston, we were hanging out we met up, I was planning to tell him, listen, bro, I'm praying about going to Boston. I was gonna tell him that. But he beat me to it. We were sitting there, we were playing darts, which I had never played darts, but we were playing darts for whatever reason. And he was like, so I'm praying about going to Boston. And I was like, what? Like, hold on, that was what that was my line. Like, what are you doing, you know? And I knew it. I knew God was just preparing my heart to give way for His heart to do that. I just knew that God was lining things up so that I saw the vision, so I saw exactly what God was doing in Adam's life, and then boom, he's out. God very clearly sent Adam, and Adam knew it, right? So being sent means the Holy Ghost can remind you that He's with you and what He has sent you to do. So like, Instead of just going on his own, instead of making it happen, Adam knew that God called him. And and because Adam knew that God called him, and because Saul and Barnabas knew that the Holy Ghost had called them, they knew that wherever they were going and whatever they were going to do, that God had told them to do that, and God would be with them. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, "...Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost." Jesus is commissioning. He's sending out the disciples, the apostles, teaching them, he says, to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Even if I send you to some really, really hard place away from everybody, I'm with you and it's okay. I got you. John 14, 16 and 18, Jesus lays it out. He says, And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter. Well, what do you need comfort for? We're all pretty comfortable. Well, because God might call you to an uncomfortable work. Because God might call you to do something that you don't naturally want to do. So He knows you need a comforter. So He gives you one. That He may abide with you Forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And He's in us now. We have the Holy Ghost in us. We have God's presence with us wherever we go. But even so, you don't want to go somewhere without knowing that He told you to go there. Right? Because if you know He told you to go there, He's with you, and, he's, and when it gets hard, He can say, hey, Remember, I told you to go here. I got you. Versus you go somewhere where you know you're not called to go, you just want to go make it happen, or you don't know if you're called to go there, and you want to go do this thing, and you're here, and it gets hard, and you're like, God, why is it so hard? He's not going to say, it's okay, I told you to go here. Unless he did, right? Does that make sense? If you just go plant a church, you go start a new work, you change churches, you make any big move. This is what I'm talking about. This is how it applies to you. You make any big move, any transition from from high school to Kaya, you make any of those moves without knowing that God is leading you very clearly. You're going there without the ability to hear Him remind you, I'm in this. There is a comforting confirmation when sending is done on God's terms. We need that. So key point number three is this. The Holy Ghost is the one that gifts us, which is what we looked at yesterday. He's the one that gifts you. He gives you the the things, the abilities, the capacities, all the things that you need to do the work that He calls you to. And then He's the one that uses us. And then He's the one that sends us, not us. Does that make sense? We've got a church planting movement. Everybody wants to plant a church. Maybe not everybody. I want to. I'm not afraid to tell you that. I would love to plant a church. I'm making zero plans. I'm letting the Lord do it. I'm going to do the work He's called me to. But maybe you want to, maybe you want to plant a church. Maybe you want to be a part of a church plant. Man, let's wait on the Lord. Let's let Him do that. Verse 4. We're getting toward the end here. It says in verse 4, and when they were at salamis, is that how you say that? Salamis. That's like the plural salami. Salamis. So they're here at a deli shop, and when they were at salamis, they preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Okay, so that's verse 5, sorry. They preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So the men are on their journey, and they're doing the work now. They've been sent. And the work is to preach the Word of God and to make disciples. Right? So we're going to make this really applicable to all of you now. Okay? Here's, here's instructions. Here's, here's the verses that tell us what the work of God is in, in church planting. It's to preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. In other words, always be ready to tell people what God has told you. Always be ready, which means hear from God. Have a quiet time. Have a daily devotion. Know what God is doing in your heart, how He's leading you, what, he, what, he's, what He's said to you to comfort your heart, to comfort and calm your anxiety. Know what God has said about your depression. Know what God says about you and your life so that whenever you need to, whenever you have an opportunity, you can speak that to someone else. You don't have to get up here and write a formal thing and you know, do the whole thing. You can be sitting in your Zoom class and you see an open door and you're ready to speak God's Word, to preach the Gospel. Okay, and then the other thing is, 2 Timothy 2.2, "...hear this with fresh ears with me. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also." So you get a word from the Lord. God speaks to you at Mission Focus. God speaks to you um, through your mentor, through your discipler. Well, do that same thing to someone else. Now, what's that look like? Let me ask you a couple questions, okay? About the text. John is with with Paul, with Saul, with Paul and Barnabas. John is with them. And he's, it says, to their minister. What does that mean? Tell me what that means. Real question. Student, give me a student who would be so bold to say, I think John being to the minister of Paul and Barnabas means what? Trevon, what do you think it means? Um, Go for it. Yeah, that's great. He's being their support in their travels. He's there to help them to lead. Yeah. Okay, so that's, a, that's, that's pretty much it right there. Okay. That means John is there to serve Paul and Barnabas. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question. Is John discipling Paul and Barnabas? Or, or are they discipling John? This is a little bit of quiz to see how well you know the character John in your Bible. Who's leading? Paul and Barnabas or John? What do you think, Isaac? Uh, Paul Paul and Barnabas are, right? So wait, 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 wait. I just got done saying that your leaders are supposed to benefit you, but now all of a sudden I'm saying, okay, but John was actually following these leaders and He was there to serve them. Okay. Let me ask you another question. Does Sunday morning and Tuesday evening, this is maybe more for Midtowners, if you're you're a youth in another church and you have a youth service, insert that time in your mind. Does Sunday morning and Tuesday evening make up the only time you are receiving or giving the Word of God or preaching the Gospel? Maybe you just think to yourself, is that the only time you receive the Word of God or you give the Word of God? Is that the only time that that transmission of Bible comes in and out of your life? What's happening is here is John was with Paul and Barnabas to minister to them. He was there to simply serve these guys as they served others, as they ministered to others. He was a young man following around these elders, buying in and carrying the water with them. He was learning servant leadership with them. He was receiving the words that these guys preached in those Jewish synagogues. He was sitting there while they preached. He's probably holding their jackets, all right? And they're preaching. And he's just taking it in. And then he's seeing that he's called to invest that same thing that he's hearing into others. He was learning what ministry looked like. Not in a vacuum. Not just in a classroom on Sundays and Tuesdays. Not just at mission focus. It was happening in action and in practice. The dude was on the mission field. You see that? He like It's like they went to the mall. And there was some mentors there that went to the mall to go preach the gospel to the masses. And the mentees, the disciples, were with them. And they were just taking it in. And they were serving, and they were helping, and they were being a part. Does that make sense? It didn't just happen on Sunday service. It happened as they shared life and a ministry of the gospel together. Discipleship and mentorship. As we finish up here, discipleship and mentorship is not just a formal process of sitting down and working through lessons. Mentorship is receiving the Word of God through a mentor who is plugged into ministry and joining him in that work. Like, I love sitting down with Trevon, with Ken, with the guys that I get to do mentorship with. It's, it's such a privilege to just sit down and work through the Bible and work through the lessons. I really, really enjoy that. And you would too, if you signed up for mentorship as a mentor or a mentee. It's it's really, really excellent time. But mentorship is not just sitting down with those lessons. Mentorship is saying, hey, here's what the Word of God says. Now, hey, I've got this ministry God's called me to. Hey, join me in that. Let's do this. Let's go win some souls. Let's go build a Bible study. Let's go do the work together. That's how you learn and grow. These men got to work doing what they did at the home base uh, now in their new field and they had a young man buying that field with them. There are men and women in our local churches who have bought fields and are trusting God for laborers to join them in their field to invest with them. Right? It doesn't even have to be youth ministry. I mean, buy this field with us. But maybe you have a mentor who's Plugged in in Kaya. Or they're plugged in with hospitality. Or they're plugged in with whatever area of service in your church. Man, buy that field with them, you guys. Because it's your key point, number four. Buy a field with a mentor. And haul the water of the Word. Do the work. It's going to be hard. You're going to need to take supplemental vitamin D. I mean the work is hard. But if you can if you can be helpful, if you can buy in with them, you're not only going to bless them, but you're making the work of God move forward. I can tell you what. The men in this room, Philip, Brock, Nate, Isaiah, and Josh, and Jake, it is incredibly helpful that they just come alongside me and they say, hey, what can we do? Do I was praying a couple weeks ago. I was praying, I said, Lord, will you please send me someone who can just say, I just want them to say, what can I do to help? And don't you know God answered that prayer? Don't you know that? That men literally came up to me and they said, or they texted me, they said, hey, what can I do to help? Like, whoa. Lord, you just answered that prayer. Are you kidding me? Whoa. There's servant leaders in this room. You want to be one, and so join unto one. Right? There's servant leaders in our church, so buy the field with them. Plug in with them. Because they're there for your benefit, but you're there for their benefit too. Does that make sense? So the sending process, it happens not in a vacuum. It happens in the experience of sharing life and ministry. And then God sees what's happening and says, okay, I'm going to plug this piece into this piece. And that's what we're going to do. And then I'm going to plug this piece over here into this place. And I'm going to take these guys with them too. And it was hard. And then it's going to be hard again. Right? But the Lord's in it. So it's all good amen okay let's pray and then we'll move forward with this morning father thank you for your word god thank you that uh thank you that you're so faithful to your word uh lord it's just it's so wild that when your word is open and as we just open ourselves to your word that as it goes forth uh Everything clicks into place. I felt like, um, I felt like the message was disjointed as, as I was working through it. And I didn't really see how things um, clicked and made sense. But God, as, as we worked through it, uh, Lord, it worked through us. And, and it, it began to um, connect dots for me. And, and I pray that it did for, for all of us. Thank God your word is effectual that we would have faith to believe it. Uh, We know Your Word works. We just know that our faith is weak. And so, God, we ask that You would uh, just give us, help our unbelief, just help us to cling to Your Word, help us to believe it, help us to to buy it, to to buy the truth and sell it not. To say that, man, Lord, what You spoke this morning, God, we're going to take that and we're going to run with it. We're going to obey it. And God, whatever You say to us this evening... God, we want to just receive it and and, and run with it. God, help our unbelief. Help us to buy this field of, of gospel work. Man, Lord, be glorified because you deserve it. You're the only one who deserves it. We are nothing, it's so great how incapable we are and how like how insufficient we are for this work but god how sufficient you are how you do all things so well man god thank you you're such a good god and you're a good father you're a good lord god you're a good pastor Lord, thank You. Um, man, would You just have Your way with the rest of our time together this morning. Be glorified in our fellowship, in our, in our fun, our games and things. Um, God, would it, would it all fall out to Your glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.